0: Have you ever been uh, wronged by somebody? Maybe a, a coworker worker uh, does something, wrongs you, tells on you, does something, blames it on you, maybe a, a, a friend, or maybe even a family member. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, the lemons that come into our lives and how best to deal with them in the hopes of turning those lemons into lemonade. And we know that uh, lemons will come into each and every one of our lives. Those bad things, troubles, struggles, frustrations, difficulties, they're going to come into our lives. And we've learned that by making lemonade, God is stronger than our struggles. That He's able to take the, the bitterness of our challenges and our failures and our faults and make them better for us and for those around us. And we also learned that when we trust God in the middle of our trouble, we're better able to see how he turns those troubles into triumphs. And, and we're going to get a, a really good picture of that next Sunday as we wrap up this series. So make sure you're back for that. But today, we're going to spend some time dealing with the wrongs we suffer in life And what I hope that you take away from today's message is this. It's our bottom line today, and it's on the my message notes uh, page. If you go to the website, that's all updated. Here it is. God doesn't cause your lemons, but He can cause good to come from your lemons. Sometimes we blame God, don't we, for the things that go wrong in our lives, and we ask Him why, like it's His fault, He did it. And we're going to talk about that today, because... God doesn't bring those lemons into our lives. He doesn't cause those things, but He can cause good to come from the lemons in your life. In January of this year, one of my cousins, uh, her husband walked into their home after work and announced he wanted a divorce. No discussion, no conversation, no warning, no willingness to work on it, no separation, just divorce. He told her that that she had changed as soon as they had gotten married and that for 14 years he had been unhappily married. Which by the way was a complete shock not only to her but to the rest of us in the family. In the last five months she'd had to adjust to the knowledge that according to her, her husband and what he has said her marriage was a sham. That he'd lied for the last 14 years every time he said I love you. And now she's moving out of the house she loves. She's moving into a fixer-upper and sharing custody of their three children and trying to come to grips with the reality that she's a single mom, divorcee, in her 40s. And that's not how she pictured her life. She was wronged. Now there are a lot of reasons in uh, our lives that we might be wronged. There are a lot of reasons that cause us to feel wronged. And there are a lot of things that happen that, that really are wrongs that, uh, that happen to us. And so I just want to go through a, a short list of some of the reasons why we might feel wronged or be wronged. And the first one is this, unmet, unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. I think that is um, probably a lot of what happened in my cousin's marriage. There were some expectations that he had of her and of what marriage was going to be like. And they didn't happen the way he thought they should, and those were unmet expectations, and he felt wronged because of that. If you're married, maybe you know what that is like. We all have those expectations. that We go into marriage or maybe into a job or different things, and when those expectations aren't met, then we feel like we've been wronged, even if maybe we really haven't. There's also um, unintentional actions that cause us to feel wrong or, or be wrong. Just something that happens. Somebody does something and they didn't really intend it uh, to hurt us or to make us mad or whatever. It just did and it was unintentional, but it happened. There are unwise decisions made by us or by others. Can, can I just say this? Sometimes you feel wronged. Maybe you feel wronged by God. But really, um, if I, I, let's just be real. Really, you just made a stupid decision. And because of that decision, something bad has happened in your life and and you, oh, I feel wronged because of this. So sometimes there's just unwise decisions by us or by others that cause us to feel wrong. There are unkind, unloving, and unfriendly behaviors. Maybe somebody's just having a bad day or maybe they're just a grumpy person and so there's an unkind thing that's said or done. An unloving thing that's said uh, in your marriage, your relationship, that causes you to feel wronged by the other person. Or it could be just a misunderstanding that leads us to feel wronged. In fact, as much as we may hate to admit it, probably most of the times that we feel wronged, just a misunderstanding. Something happened, something was done, it was unintentional, it was a misunderstanding, and then we get our feelings hurt. The feelings of being wronged can be uh, little things, or in the case of my co- cousin, cousin, they can be uh, or seem huge. See, see, I think my cousin's husband felt a million little wrongs over the last fourteen years, and so he dropped one great big wrong on her. Now I know it's Father's Day. But I'm going to quote mom this morning. I don't do that very often. But uh, Father's Day is a quote from mom. Here's what mom used to always say. Maybe yours did too. Two wrongs don't make a right. Yeah, Two wrongs don't make a right. But here's the beauty of wrongs for the follower of, of Jesus. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Christ, here's what you can hold on to when the wrongs come in your life. God can turn wrongs right. God can turn wrongs right. And there's a lot of stories in the Bible of people who were wronged, of of things that happened to them that were bad, made them feel bad, they were wrong, it just shouldn't have happened, but it did. But, But I think the guy that's got to be at the top of that list has got to be this guy named Joseph. Joseph was the 11th son of his father, born in his father's old age, and Joseph was clearly the favorite. Joseph was so loved by his dad more than his 10 older sons that he made Joseph a a coat. It was a beautiful colored coat and a very ornate stitching that was done in it. And Joseph was the favorite and he knew he was the, the favorite. And because of that, it made him a little arrogant. Now, Joseph at this time was the youngest son. And so if you are the youngest child of your family, you could probably relate to Joseph a little bit. Number one, you're the favorite, right? I was the youngest in my family. I'm sure I was the favorite. You probably were too. And here's the other thing that happened. Joseph, because he was the favorite, because he was loved by his father, he would tattle on his older brothers. Anybody ever do that? Yeah. Yeah. I got beat up if uh, I did that, but I still did it. Uh, and so Joseph would see his brothers doing things that they shouldn't be doing, and he would run back and he would tell his dad what his older brothers had done there was joseph's wrong number one according to his family and his brothers probably but joseph took it a step further joseph in his young age had two dreams in the first dream he was a shock of wheat out in the field and his brothers were also shocks of wheat out in the field and we're uh wichita state folks we understand shockers where they they take the wheat and they bundle it up and it's standing up in the field And he went to his brothers after this dream, and he said, I I dreamed that we were each a shock of wheat, and mine was kind of lifted up in the center of the fields, and all of your shocks of wheat bowed down to mine. Now, if you're a younger brother, that's a sure way to get your butt kicked, right? Uh, by the way, bro, you're going to bow down to me one day. Yeah, that didn't work out very well. Um, But Joseph didn't learn from his mistakes. Instead, he had another dream. And this dream he told to his brothers and his father and mother. And in that dream, his second dream, they were stars. And his star was lifted up and all the other stars bowed down, including the sun and the moon. And when he told his dad, his dad said, do you mean to say that your mom and I are going to worship you? Joseph was in big trouble. That was wrong number two and wrong number three. So Joseph was arrogant. Joseph was a little unwise. But that didn't seem to warrant his brother's response. See, when Joseph was about 17 years old, his brothers decided uh, to kill him at first. And then they kind of had this conversation. They're like, well, let's not kill him because that'd be murder and that wouldn't be good. So let's just sell him to Egypt as a slave. And so, that's what they did. They sold him to some travelers coming through who took him down to Egypt and sold him as a slave. The brothers then took that fancy coat that his dad had made for him and they ripped it up and they put some goat's blood on it and they took it back to dad and said, your son who you love has been killed by a wild animal. Joseph was taken to Egypt and was eventually bought by a guy named Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard, a royal official of Pharaoh. And the text tells us in Genesis that God was with Joseph because Joseph was faithful to God. See, Joseph was so honest and trustworthy in all that he did that Potiphar eventually put Joseph in charge of everything in his household except his wife. That makes sense, right? Potiphar is the boss. His wife is kind of co-boss with him. And then Joseph was in charge of everything else in the house. Well, eventually, Potiphar's wife came to kind of fancy Joseph. I guess he was a good-looking dude. And she tried to seduce him. And she tried over and over and over to get him to sleep with her. But he, because he was honest and trustworthy, he refused her advances. Now, finally, she got him alone and tried to seduce him again, and he ran out of the room. While he was running, she grabbed some of his clothing and ripped it off of his back. And then she was so angry with him that he wouldn't indulge her that she claimed he tried to rape her. Potiphar was furious about this because he had trusted Joseph with everything in his life. And so he felt wronged by Joseph for trying to take advantage of his wife, and he had Joseph thrown in prison. While in prison, God is with Joseph, and Joseph is faithful. He's honest and trustworthy. And he is promoted to be in charge of all the other inmates in the prison. Now, at this time, there are two of Pharaoh's uh, closest helpers who are in prison as well. Pharaoh's cupbearer and Pharaoh's baker. And Joseph is in charge of them. And he's making sure they get their food every day and they're taken care of and their cells are locked up and all of that kind of stuff. And one day, Joseph comes into work and, uh, or I guess he's in prison still. He gets out of his cell. He goes to take care of everybody else. And he comes to these guys and they just don't, they look sad. And he's like, what's going on? Well, they each had a dream. And so the cupbearer tells Joseph his dream. And Joseph is Uh, given by God the interpretation of that dream and so he tells the cupbearer in three days Pharaoh is going to restore you to your previous position as cupbearer and that was pretty exciting for the cupbearer he was pretty excited by that hey I'm getting out of prison I'm going to go back to work for Pharaoh and so Joseph said listen when you get to work for Pharaoh again would you just mention my story to him would you tell him about how I was sold by my brother's down here to Egypt, about how I was wrongfully accused of a crime I didn't commit, how I ended up in prison, and how I've been faithful in my duties here. And, and Joseph was hopeful that the cupbearer, by telling Pharaoh, would be released, for, that Joseph would be released from prison, and then he'd get to go back home to Canaan where he lived. Well, the baker was so impressed with the interpretation that Joseph gave to the cupbearer that he told Joseph his dream. Well, Joseph uh, has a very different interpretation of the baker's dream. He said, in three days, you're going to be killed for what you did. Not a very good deal. Well, the cupbearer goes back to work for Pharaoh, and when he gets there, he's so excited about his job, I guess, that he forgets to mention to Pharaoh about Joseph's situation. And for two more years, Joseph kind of rots in prison. He's still faithful, he's still trustworthy, he's still doing his job, but every day he's wondering, what's going on? Why didn't he tell Pharaoh what happened? Well, after about two years, Pharaoh has a couple dreams, and he asks his magicians and he asks his wise men to interpret the dreams, and they're unable to do it. And the cupbearer finally comes to Pharaoh, and and, and he says, listen, uh, nobody else is able to interpret your dreams, but I just remembered that there's a guy in the prison who interpreted my dream, and and it came true for me and for the baker, and maybe you should ask him. And so Pharaoh calls for Joseph, and Joseph comes before Pharaoh, and, and Pharaoh says, I hear that you can interpret dreams, and Joseph says, I can't, but dreams belong to God. And so God can interpret your dream. And so Pharaoh tells him his dream and Joseph is given the the interpretation of the dream from God and he tells him what's up. Now Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph, so impressed with his interpretation, so impressed with, with his faithfulness, with his trustworthiness, with his honesty, that he makes Joseph number two in all of Egypt. In fact, only Pharaoh himself has greater authority Joseph now here's where the story gets interesting in the second year of this famine that that Joseph interpreted things are so bad that Jacob also known as Israel this is Joseph's father sends Joseph's ten brothers down to Egypt to buy food because the famine is even in Canaan eventually the brothers meet Joseph Joseph finds out he has a younger brother, Benjamin, and then Joseph reveals his true identity to his brothers, and here's how that goes down. If you want to follow along, it's in Genesis chapter 45, beginning in verse 3. It's also in your message notes, and it'll be up on the screen. Here's what happened. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Remember, his ten older brothers tried to kill him and then sold him into slavery. They were the cause of this life of misery and lemons that Joseph had experienced. And so they were terribly afraid. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now... Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen. You will be near me. You, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks and herds, all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household... And all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. And then Joseph threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. The reality for most of us is that the wrongs done to us bring wrongs from us. Do you see that in in your life? Let me give you an example of of how that sometimes works with me. Maybe it does with you too. How many times have you felt like your spouse or maybe somebody at work or something maybe responds to you uh, a little harshly? Like it's first thing in the morning, you ask a question, they have this response, and for whatever reason, you just hear it like they're angry about something. and Then you're like, what's that all about? And instead of dealing with that, you respond angrily back. Like the whole morning, then you're just like, what's going on? And then neither one of you knows why the other one is upset, but you're both upset because you both feel wronged by however what was said, and this was said, and how it was said, and how we heard it. Okay, maybe I'm the only one. Without God correcting our incorrect responses, without God helping us turn the other cheek, without God teaching us to sow love to people, even those who hate us, The wrongs done to us elicit wrong actions and responses from us. Somebody does wrong to me, I'm going to do wrong to them. And that's how the world works, right? I mean, that's how we function in the world and we see that happening and yet we go back to Scripture and and God says, don't be like the rest of the world. Don't do that. Don't respond in that way. And so as believers, we're constantly being corrected by God's Word to respond differently to those things and yet we still struggle with it. And so we see, even when wrong things done to us, or the expectation of wrong things done to us, elicit wrong things from us, we see even in the moment that God can turn wrongs right. So even though Joseph wasn't perfect, even though he was, uh, wasn't perfect, he was faithful, and it was his honesty and his trustworthiness that gained him favor, the favor of those in authority over him, even... When others were wronging him, God was with him because he was faithful. Now, I often pray for my wife and my children and my children's spouses that in their jobs, uh, in their work, in their neighborhoods, in their communities and whatever they're doing, that they're shown favor by those, uh, their peers and those in authority over them. God, just show them favor in the work that they do and the things that they do. And I pray that prayer expecting that my family is living honestly. That they're being trustworthy in their different uh, jobs and roles. and they're living a life worthy worthy of the calling of Jesus on their lives. And so I'm expecting that they're living like Jesus in their lives. and Because of that, that they would be shown favor by those in authority or their peers. And I think that's Joseph's situation. See, look at how Joseph responds to the list of wrongs in his life. All of these things wrong happened to him. But in verse 7 he says, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. See, God didn't make Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. He didn't make Potiphar's wife accuse him and he didn't make the cupbearer forget him. But God used Joseph's brothers to get Joseph to Egypt. He used Potiphar's wife to get him in contact with those close to Pharaoh. He used the cupbearer's forgetfulness to get Joseph a meeting with Pharaoh at just the right time. And he used Pharaoh's dream to save all of Egypt and all of Israel through him. And he also used each of the experience that he he had to gain the necessary wisdom he needed to be able to save all of those people. And so we see wrong things happening to Joseph, and yet God being faithful to Joseph, because Joseph was faithful to God throughout all of those situations. And it makes one thing really clear. What we're told in Romans eight twenty eight, we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been call, called according to His purpose. And sometimes we don't get that verse. We're like, why, why do wrong things happen or whatever? Sometimes God is just using the wrong things that happen in your right life to get you into the right place. He's using the wrong things that come at you to bring the right up in you. He's using the wrong things that you find yourself in to bring right for you. So sometimes those bad things that happen, God is going to use to bring good out of. Most of us who are wrong respond wrong. And as my mom said, that never makes things right. And so how do we turn that around? This pattern in our lives of being wronged and responding wrong and then not being faithful to God when those wrong things happen and we blame him for what's going on. Well, the first thing we got to do is we need to stop blaming God for the sin of others against us. And so when we go to God every time something wrong happens in our lives, and we go, God, why did you allow this to happen? We're blaming God for the sin in other people's lives. And maybe we're blaming God for the sin in our own lives because sometimes we make stupid decisions and they lead us down a path that causes financial trouble, relationship trouble, whatever, and then we go, God, why are you causing this to happen? God didn't cause it. The sin of somebody else's life or the sin in our own lives caused those things. And so we need to stop blaming God for what happens in our lives, for the wrong in our lives and for the lemons that come. The reality is that we live in a world full of sin, and we're going to suffer wrong no matter how hard we try or how faithful we are. That's not God's fault, but God can turn it for your favor. Secondly, we've got to remain faithful, even in the face of those offenses. When we blame God for the wrongs that come into our lives, it's easy for us to start thinking, well, then why should I follow God when all these bad things happen to me? And I think that happens to a lot of people. They come to Christ and and things are going pretty good. But then Satan comes in and and things start happening. And maybe there's trouble in relationship, trouble at work, trouble with the kids. And we start going, God, why is this happening? And we say, if this is what's going to happen, why am I even following God in the first place? What we should force ourselves to remember is that no no matter what happens to us, God is using it for us. No matter what happens to us, God is using it for us, for our benefit and our blessing. And like we'll look next week a little more closely, he's using those things for the benefit of others. So what do we do about it? Well, I don't know how God will turn my cousin's situation around, but I trust that if he can use every lemon that came into Joseph's life, To save a nation and make his name great, he can bring something right out of how she was wronged. And I can see that even though this difficult situation kind of consumes her in the moment, she is leaning on and relying on God to make things right. She's trusting him to lead through this process. What this often means is that we've got to release God from blame. We've gotta release the negative and the hurtful and the wrong emotions because Satan intends to use the lemons in our lives to make us bitter so that we respond bitterly to others. But God would use our lemons to make us better people. See, God won't make things right if you and I refuse to release our anger, hurt, and bitterness to Him. He's not gonna make those things right if we're blaming Him, and if we refuse to release this stuff, when we hold on to the anger, we hold on to the wrongs, and we hold on to the bitterness and the hurt, we stop God from working good in our lives. So today, you may need to seek God's forgiveness for holding the hurt caused by others against Him. Today, maybe you need to release the hurt to Him so that He can start the restoration process in you. Today, you may need to realize that the lemons others have wrongly given you can make the best lemonade. And instead of holding on to the lemons, you can hold out in your life for the lemonade. If there's a decision you need to make today, or maybe you just need prayer... Like always, you can go to the website, reallifecc.us. You can go to Next Steps. You can say, I'm ready. You can click on the prayer link at the top of the page and you can share those things with us digitally. You can also use the card that is on your seat if you've got a prayer request or maybe you feel like need help with something in your life. We want to pray with you about those those things. But this morning, I want to give you this option as well. If you want to pray with somebody or you want to talk through some of these things, we want to give you the option to go back to the Connection Hub afterwards. Uh, You can go through that same process online if you want to, or you can just talk to one of our volunteers back there who might be able to help you and pray with you about what's going on in your life. You know, Joseph was more concerned with what God was doing through him than what others were doing to him. We've usually got that turned around. (laughs) But what if we really started believing that God was working all things, even the wrong things, and the unwise things, and the worst things, for our good? If we each started seeing the wrongs done to us as opportunities for God to do right through us, it would change how we handle the worst things others throw at us. And we'd see more people one to Jesus because of how we handle the wrongs done to us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. And I thank you for calling us to to be more than what's around us. I thank you for for being an example to us of of how we should return right for wrong. How we should respond when, when wrong is done to us. And God, I admit that there have been a lot of times in my life where, where things have happened and I've responded in, in, in kind. I've responded wrongly to those things. And yet it was in the midst of those things that you were developing my character and you were, you were drawing me closer to you. And Sometimes I miss that. So, God, help us to be always aware that you are working all things together for our good and your glory. God, would you help us to be a people that return right for wrong, that see your hand in in everything that happens in our life, and we use those times when we're hurt, when we're afraid, when we're worried. When the worst kinds of things happen to us, we use those times to be drawn closer to you and to develop that character and that perseverance so that we look more like your son Jesus each and every day. Father, would you help us to do that? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, the band is going to sing this song, and uh, I ask them to sing the whole thing because of what the bridge says. And so would you just um, pay attention for the next few minutes and sing along with them. And let's let God speak to you. Maybe there's something in your life that's kind of percolating and needs just a couple more minutes for God to kind of bring that up to the surface. And uh, as soon as that song is over, we'll draw for the